Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Hey team, before we get into today's podcast, I just want to let you know this was recorded before the SAG after strike officially started. So if we hit on any topics that refer to the strike being in process, or if we talk about things that don't seem relevant at a time like this, just so you know, this was recorded in advance. Thank you guys so much for listening and please enjoy today's podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today we have on someone who I got to meet through Fast Forward and who has since become a really cool influence, someone I love to follow on Instagram, and someone who's doing some incredible work for creatives in general. Izzy Stevens is an LA-based Australian-American actress. She's also a writer, a producer, an award-winning director, and she is the owner and CEO of Indie Spunk, a coaching and mentorship platform and exclusive content studio helping filmmakers, writers, actors, and directors and creative entrepreneurs use their resourcefulness, break industry norms, and develop their own award-winning creative work. What does this mean? She knows a lot about a lot. We talk really intensely in this episode about whether or not you should create your own work as an actor. And she had an incredible opinion about this, which I thought was really awesome. How we deal with actor guilt and the idea that we should be doing everything. The steps you want to take or will take as a creative once you have an idea or a script or where you want to go with it. She gives some insider information on how you develop a project and really gets into what a pitch is and why we all need a pitch, whether it's for ourselves or for a project we're working on or working for. Figuring out how to concisely state what we're doing is not just for pitching a pilot to a network. It's also for just in general meeting people and having conversations. So we kind of get into the networking world a little bit too. Izzy shares with us how she started her career and how she booked a series regular almost instantly once she got out of school and how that actually was kind of detrimental to her actor health and mental health as she got bigger in this industry, how she took young success and managed to utilize it in the future and the things she's learned in that process. And lastly, Because of all of those titles I listed, because of all the hats she wears, I really wanted to know what her self-care is, how she deals with the day-to-day, doing a little bit of everything or some of one thing, more of the other. I'm really interested in process and routines right now. And so we kind of get into it at the very end of this podcast. So make sure you listen to the whole thing because I know you guys love a routine and a week schedule. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Izzy Stevens. Today is June 1st. This episode is not coming out for a minute because we are batching content. And as I sit here and talk to Izzy, we are also talking about a potential SAG strike while a WGA strike is going on and all these things. And who better to sit down with than someone who knows exactly what it takes to produce content and how much work goes into all sides and how appropriately people should be funded for their stuff. So Izzy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I was just right before we started recording, I was saying, mate, thank you so much. I just like love your podcast. And I feel like my affection for people can probably be measured in the amount of times I call them mate. We go way back to the inception of Izzy's podcast, in fact, because I got to work with her with Fast Forward on launching her podcast and That was a dreamy scenario. So now that you're in this podcast boat, as well as running a company, as well as being an actor and putting on all the hats that you do in creative terms, how's it going? How do you like podcasting? Yeah, I love and have questions about it. But I will say right before we dive into that, this is the sort of gift of really good marketing. Because to be honest, Sam, I hadn't listened to your podcast a full episode of your podcast before I had reached out to you and said, hey, I love what you're doing. Can you help me with my podcast? Because you're really good at what you do, right? And that's the power of great marketing. That's the power of great messaging and also just standing for what you believe in. So I now have listened, of course, to your podcast and I think it's wonderful. But yeah, no, Sam, you were such a help in me setting mine up. So thank you. And I love it. I love it very much. I will say that when I decided that I wanted to start this podcast, it was because I knew that the questions being asked in my membership community for filmmakers and actors 
needed to be heard on a wider level. I knew more people needed them, but I didn't realize that sitting in front of a microphone would require me to also talk about myself. And that is not something that is the easiest thing to do. It is a lot more complicated on many levels than we assume it is. But also being vulnerable, especially by yourself, is the key and also the hardest part because you've seen now like you're not it's not a newscast. You're not only talking about things in like factual form. You have to have an opinion. Therefore, it has to be about you, which is really scary. Yeah, Yeah. it's so terrifying. Something that I think helps you strengthen yourself, helps you strengthen how you're articulating. But I think we all struggle with this as artists because we want our art to speak for itself. We want it to have its own message. And which is, you know, a lot of what we talk about in my community as well is pitching and how to put your ideas out there, not just make them, but also share them and how you're articulately doing that. And so this has been a big learning curve for me as well. It's really easy for me to show up in a coaching session and talk all about the person that's in front of me and help them. But really articulating things for myself aren't always the easiest to do. So yeah, it is very vulnerable. It's like filmmaking where filmmaking, I say, is it's like standing in front of the town square completely naked and asking people not to laugh at you. It's like podcasting, right? Yes. It's such a weird thing, too, because your brain is like, no one's going to listen. And then the second you start getting very vulnerable, you're like, everyone's going to hear this. (laughs) Exactly. It's a weird middle ground. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what it is that your podcast is and kind of where it stemmed from? Yeah. So Indie Spunk Podcast is an offshoot of my membership, my company. I have a mentorship practice and a production company that helps emerging filmmakers go from script to screen. So we talk about all of the things in the middle. Yes, the ideation process, the script writing, but also the development stage, building a team, putting a pitch together, getting funding, taking it to the screen, festivals, distribution, and beyond that as well, getting press for yourself as an artist. We cover a lot in my programs. And I think the questions that come up in those containers are so interesting and valuable. I created this business because I naturally, and I feel like many coaches, many mentors have this, I've always naturally been sought out for advice. For some reason, I always like to do it. I always like to help where I can. And so this was something that naturally happened over COVID because I can't sit still. Like I really, I was like, oh, everything shut down. Great project time. I already had a few projects going on, but I felt really excited at the thought of developing this into something that's a community for people that can really come together and also selfishly so that I could find the answers that I was looking for as well so that I could be that platform and say none of us know what's going on like I'm certainly not a guru I don't know everything but I do love to find the answers and so the podcast is this real kind of addition to or introduction to my membership my mentorship and the guests that we bring in so we have solo episodes for me where I'm awkwardly sitting right here in my chair going Hey, I wonder if anyone's listening, but let me talk to you about why you should persist with that script that's been sitting on your desk forever and that you feel like is not good enough, right? And then we also have guests come in. We've had programmers from Holly Shorts, co-founder of Holly Shorts, programmers from Sundance, managing directors, people from all over the industry that come in and sort of give you that insight. I know you and I share this kind of love for the details, the specifics. Like, I don't want to hear, I was lucky to get there. I want to hear what email did you send? How many times did you follow up? How many no's did you get until you got there? What was that journey like? And I know that my audience is really hungry for that too. So I really do love to have those very specific conversations. Yeah. Did you always know that you needed to be more than just an actor? Did you always see yourself as like wearing all of the hats? Because I see myself as like, I'm an actor. Then anything else I do is like an accident. But did you know? Because I think people sometimes struggle with that. They feel like they're supposed to be or they have to be. Were you drawn? How did you figure out that you were supposed to do all these things? When I was four years old, they tried to expel me from preschool because I was directing the entire student body on the playground in the giant like Titanic death scene. I was ordering all the kids to like leap to their watery death, plunge from the play equipment to the ground. I was very bossy. There were other accounts of me being very bossy and articulate about what I needed, what I thought needed to happen. And, and they called my parents in and said, we can't get a handle on her. We, you know, you've got to take her, take her somewhere else. 
And my parents were like, it sounds oh, like she's God. a born leader and that you should foster that. And you would never have brought, you know, parents in if this was a boy. There was a whole conversation. Meanwhile, my parents were actually going through a divorce at the time. I think I, I joke that I think this what? is like the only thing they ever agreed on. <laughs> it was like, no, take care of this. So I think there was always this urge in me to execute a vision and to bring a team together. Obviously, did not have the leadership skills I needed at four years old. But I really loved films and I loved the way they made me feel. I was really interested in how the images were dancing on the screen, the sound. So I was very curious about all of it. But I didn't actually see a lot of examples of women in those roles, like women directors as I was growing not, none of us did. We, there were a handful, of course, and there are these brilliant female filmmakers that have come before us. But it just was, I mean, except for Jane Campion, who I knew from a young age. I was obsessed with Jane Campion and I loved her, but I didn't feel like I was seeing a lot of examples of how to participate in the industry as a woman, except for the ingenue, except for the actresses, except for the women that I was also like, oh, wow, that would be incredible. Wouldn't it be amazing to be up there on that screen? And I think for many filmmakers, and especially female filmmakers, come into directing and producing by way of acting. But I fell in love with acting through the excitement of being engaged in story and being a storyteller. But I was actually mm. a dancer first and I had a scholarship to a performing arts high school. Like I fought for this scholarship because there was no way we could afford to go there. I fought for this scholarship mm. for a ballet, a ballet school that also had a drama stream and a couple years into being at this high school. And in Australia, high school goes from like year six to year 12. So it includes middle school. So that whole period I was in a school which really fostered my creativity two, three hours a day, I think, actually. Three hours a day we were doing performing arts. And so for three hours a day, I was dancing and staring out the window going, I want to hang out with the acting kids. Like they're looking like they're having so much fun. I want to talk about scripts. I want to talk about movies. I just wanted so badly to, and I was just too rebellious and not disciplined enough to be a ballerina, honestly. So I walked out of there and into drama stream and I never looked back. And a couple of years later, I'd booked a series regular role. Happened really quickly. What a gift. That's very amazing. I was very lucky. Yeah. So now we're going to get into that piece. So when you book a series regular role that yep. fast, did you assume, and you were super young, did you assume that, oh, this is what I'm doing from now on? This is what this is oh, going to look like? For sure. I absolutely fell in love. I walked onto set, went from being incredibly confident and vocal and a little bit, you know, I was a bit naughty. Like I really like to push the boundaries. I was a really good kid, but I was beyond my year, like a little bit too mature for my age. And I wanted to experiment. Mm -hmm. And so that's who I was, 14, 15, 16. And then I walked on set at 16, 17 and went, oh my God, I really care about this. Suddenly there are stakes here. Suddenly I want my reputation to be stellar and I don't want anyone to have an excuse to tell me that I can't be here or that I shouldn't be here. So I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to pay, you know, really close attention to what's going on. And with that came a lot of imposter syndrome. I was in a television show that was where I was surrounded by adults and everyone had been in the industry for a really long time. So I was like, okay, you're fresh, you're brand new. Like, don't question anything. Just say thank you. Like total people pleaser, full on people pleaser came through. And I did. I truly believed like, this is it. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. I love this. I honestly feel emotional. I mean, I fell in love and I knew I wanted to be on set for the rest of my life. And then I started realizing that I was really curious about what was going on apart from the acting. What is the camera doing? How is it moving? How is the director talking to the actors? I didn't know how any of it worked, but I wanted to know how it worked. Did you see yourself in that time? So like when that series regular ended, where do we go mentally, mm -hmm. physically? What happens next? I can say this now with a lot more experience under my belt. Having early success is really coveted. People want to be walking on set but people want I mean the story is still I can't believe it like I was in a high school play an agent came to see me she signed me and a month later I was on a television show like that doesn't happen 
doesn't happen. Yeah, that's by the way, I was like, that's how LA is going to be. Yeah, right? I'm just going right? to walk in and they're going to be like, you. I like, love you. Yeah. And it sounds like the dream, yeah. right? It sounds like exactly what we want. But from all of these experiences that I've had over the past 12 years, 10 years, have been showing me that the struggle for success is the most meaningful work. That sounds so ridiculous to say. I know it sounds ridiculous, but mm. when I had that success early on, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have the skills to maintain it. I didn't have any awareness or understanding of the industry or how it worked or what it meant for me to participate, to use my voice, to take care of myself. I didn't have any of those skills. And I did not come from a well-off family or a family that was in the industry. I didn't have any idea. And so I actually think that some of that early success, had I had the information I have now after years of pushing and hustling and working really hard, I would have utilized that very differently. But I sat on my butt and I went, okay, things will come to you. The call is coming. The call is coming. Wait, so if you could, Izzy right now could have that success again, could come off of a series regular. What is it that you would do differently? Well, after the series ended between that show and then I booked, I did have another booking for another television show. So there was this kind of continuity in some case. And the next show went on for two seasons. I was a series regular in that, but it was a very different experience where it was a completely different for me personally experience on that television show. And that's when I started to realize that I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I think that what was happening, if I could tell myself anything that I know now, it would be truly listen to the gut calls that you have, like listen to what your gut is telling you. Because I was listening to people that I thought knew what was best for me. My gut was saying, no, that's not, something doesn't feel right. Or I'm not sure if that's the right call. The times that I did listen to my gut really worked for me. And the times that I didn't, I look back and think, you know, you know best, even if you don't know, you know. So in like day-to-day scene work, in like signing contracts, like what do you mean specifically? Specifically, I had questions around how my representation was taking care of me. And I think that some of it felt political in the conversation and it didn't feel like it was about me. And I kind of could tell that was what was happening, but I didn't know what else to do. And I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome that, oh, no one else is going to want to represent me. I didn't. I really struggled. But the tough thing is, I I don't want it to be a bit of a pity party about me, but I when you have that, when I had that early success. This is a lesson. yeah, Yeah, it was huge lesson for me because I had that early success and then I started to feel embarrassed by it and I started to feel like I am supposed to know all of the answers and if I present like I don't know what I'm doing everyone's gonna know I'm a fraud and that is exactly what the industry breeds at like the ripe old age of like 18 yeah exactly I mean even so with the television show that I booked up so the second tv show that I booked puberty blues my rep actually told me not to take And they said, like, we can't get a handle on exactly what the role is going to be for you. And we're worried about that. We think we should wait out for something bigger. But my gut said, you need to take this. You need to take this. And in some ways, they were right because it was a struggle through the next two years. I actually went through, like, quite a bit of depression. And I had a hard time when I was working on that show, really feeling a sense of myself. But on the other hand, it's one of the things that, has carried me through more than anything. It's the thing that people remember. It's the thing that people still talk to me about. It still comes up as like one of those most watched on the streamer. Like it's such a great show and I'm so proud of being a part of it. But it was, uh, people are always going to give you their advice and usually their advice, unfortunately, has more to do with them. And that's something that is really difficult to learn early on. God, it's, I mean, and what a gift though that you were able to learn it with retrospect and to now be able to help facilitate these conversations with actors because as hard as it is to be this kind of real like how bad did you need this when you were in it I truly I wonder if you relate as well but I I truly built a business in response to the things I desperately wish I had access to when I was starting out Yeah, it's like 
the basis of one broke actor. Right. Like exactly. I yeah. I would have had. It's like, this. God, like, if only and same, like, I wish I had your resources way back when I was starting out. I wish we were having these honest conversations or I knew that these conversations were being had or are accessible, but they kind of weren't when I was 18. There were a couple, I remember like one or two really salesy kind of, I don't know if you remember, but really salesy like marketing things for actors circulating that felt really false to me. And I was like, ah, I don't know what they're talking oh, about. Yeah. Do you remember anything like that? Always. Yeah. Oh my God. They were so bad. And like, it was like the, there, there's always scheming people out yeah. there, but some of them I'm like, wait, people really pay for this. You really That's how I felt. I was like, that. this is bullshit. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and like, but I do, I podcasting now and the way that there's so much more access to mentorship and coaching is, I think, awesome. Mm-hmm. I think people can probably have their own opinions about it, but I really do feel like it's an amazing opportunity oh, for many it. of us to learn. Well, and you can decide, it's like choosing your brand of you know, bread or choosing your brand of oatmeal. So many of them are similar, but like someone might be drawn to the specifics about you and the way you talk and the way Mm. you get your point across. And that's why they're a part of your membership versus like mine versus like, there's so many of us now who are doing this. And I, someone asked me once, like, how do you feel about the fact that there are so many people now who do this? This is rad. One, if a market is saturated, it means there's an audience. So let's go. And two, everyone is so different in this business. And the way we got here is so different that like we all have different stuff to share and different ways we're doing it. And the close, the more we can share this type of Mm. stuff in our own way and develop our communities and then share them is the more valuable this all is. So I would be curious as you got into the world of coaching and mentorship and taking care of people, what did your first clients look like versus what it looks like right now? Great question. So I started this business, as I mentioned, during COVID. And it was funny because perhaps one of the first times I've ever allowed myself to slow down. I don't slow down. I'm I really, probably to a detriment, constantly have too many projects going on. Even now, when we were talking yeah. before we hit record and you're like, I just want to know how you have bandwidth for this and this. I'm like, I don't have any bandwidth. I don't know what bandwidth is. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about yeah. boundaries and routines here in a second. <laughs> the business really started as a response to some, funnily enough, by way of a traumatic incident that happened to me on a film a few years ago. And because of that, I started to meditate because I realized I was having anxiety, like a lot of anxiety And I had a really terrifying anxiety attack that showed me that I need to start taking care of myself. And I, and it might seem sort of, sort of silly now, but I didn't even know how to meditate. Like I didn't know that was a thing. I had my new book that I was really excited about. I was doing these meditations and something I tapped in really quickly. I guess my body was like, thank God you're giving me some rest. And I went into this kind of space where I thought I just had this moment of, oh my God, you should really talk to other filmmakers and act particularly at that time, really it was actors who want to make films and help them do that because that's something that people come to you for a lot. You really would appreciate to share that wisdom. And also I really wanted to be a place where people could come and talk about the things that they were going through in their film careers as actors and as filmmakers that they didn't know how to handle because I needed that. Like when I had gone through that really traumatic experience, I realized I needed a community. And if I need that, and I'm working in this business, everyone needs that. Like we're all searching for it. And particularly we're searching for it during COVID. So I reached out. Actually, what was funny, the same day, a girlfriend of mine who I met in an acting class reached out to me and said, hey, Iz, I've written like 12 pages of brain dump jumble and I want to make a film out of it. Can you help me? And I was like, yes, I can. (laughs) Okay, universe, we hear We're doing it. And I said, look, this is something that I want to try and do and form into a business and and a mentorship practice and a production company. Do you want to be my guinea pig? And so I took her through this whole process of making her film. I came on as a co-director. Of course, I don't co-direct or produce at all. Like every client, I mean, I work with like 60 clients. I don't produce, you know, everyone's work. But for this particular situation, she was a close friend of mine. We co-produced, co-directed. We created this baby together and we're so excited about it. We're so proud of it. And that was really 
blueprint of what it looked like to take someone through that whole process. And then I started realizing I love to work with actors as long as they also want to make films. I don't want to work with actors who, Mm. and I was saying like, I was just recording a podcast episode for my podcast that was talking exactly about this, but don't make your work because you think you should, or because someone has said, you should make your own work. It's so easy now. You have an iPhone, like bullshit. Like I don't prescribe to that belief at all. We will link that episode in the show notes because I think that is so important. And I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Did you have actors who were coming to you who were like, I just have to make my own work because I'm supposed to? Yeah. There have been a handful of times where I could tell that the intention was external. The intention was, I, I think I need to do this through no fault of their own. And I actually really think that it's important to honor what your zone of genius is and what your natural desire for your career is. But if it's coming from somewhere else and you think that you have to because it's easy now or that the industry says you must, no, I don't think that's true. But I do believe that if you are an actor and you want to act in your own work, but you don't want to write, you don't want to direct, but you do want to produce, that is also fully possible. I've had many clients that have come to me and been very clear. I want to make a film. I want to know what goes into it but I don't want to direct and I don't want to write. I want to produce it. And then, great, that's such a full possibility. But to come and not want to do any of the work, filmmaking is an incredible, like I am goosebumpy, passionate about how much I love to make films. And I love sharing that. In, I'm infectious about it. I really care about it. But it's not for you if you don't have that curiosity. Because coming from a place of experimentation, coming from a place of, I want to experiment. I want to be curious. I want to develop this idea. I want to inspect myself. I want to be excavating this idea or like figuring out how to do this. That is the place to come from versus I must do this because it's the only thing I can do for my career as an actor. Not true. Okay. Give us a little preview of that podcast episode. So (laughs) as an actor who grew up in the last few years, anything from 2010 till now, I was told, make my own web series, make my own web series. And I've said it time and time again on this podcast, I didn't want to make a fucking web series. And I still am not particularly interested in that. And I found my own in, which was doing this podcast. And this brought me joy and my content brought me joy. And this is definitely my form of being active in the stuff. But there's a guilt that comes along with not wanting to make my own content. Can you speak to that a little bit? I think the guilt comes from that that should right? Like it's the, okay. So first of all, what I'm not saying is that you can't make a film on an iPhone. You absolutely can. I mean, Steven Soderbergh has proven that many filmmakers now have proven that you can make fantastic films on an iPhone. It's wonderful that we have this piece of technology, but why I get frustrated about that sort of terminology and how that just gets thrown around is that it's just, it's very reductive. It is reductive. And it's also just another way for actors to feel like it's all on them. And you're like, let's talk about the fact that actors are already doing this. You're basically making a web series every time you (laughs) audition, Sam. Like, you don't need to do anything. (laughs) And I think it makes me a little bitter, too, to have to feel that I'm supposed to maintain all of my jobs to maintain my income to be able to afford this career, show up constantly for self-tapes, not knowing when I'm going to book and make money again. And also I'm supposed to like channel all of my creative energy into creating a project that I'm doing just because I have to. No, I hate this feeling. So gross. The truth is, I mean, there are so many more ways to find your way into success. And, you know, success could look like anything for many different people than making your own work. And also, I do believe that anything made from that space of should or that space of guilt isn't going to express your creativity in an impactful way anyway. I mean, to be completely honest, we are so like gorged on content, right? We have so much content coming out of our ear holes and our attention span is short. We all know this. Our attention span is getting shorter and shorter, which means if you're not grabbing people's attention, if you're not, if your idea isn't fully developed or inspected or truly given that time to develop itself, it's just going to be something that adds to the noise for no reason. I don't think that there's a point. I think that films need to capture something sort of unique 
there needs to be an honest vulnerability excavation. Even if you're making a comedy, there's vulnerability in comedy as much as there is in drama, as much as there is in thriller and horror. Like there, you need to have a sense of what this message or story is doing. And film is art. It's not content. So I just very passionate about don't make it if you don't want to. Is there some examples of things that you would give to people who say, okay, well, I'm not interested in making my own work. What are some other ways you've seen people fill that creative bucket when they're between jobs, which is most of us, 90% of the time, we're between jobs. I mean, my outlet is filmmaking. But I think that even the the format of podcasting or putting on a play or make your own stuff, but find a way for you to express that talent and that perspective and that voice that you have in a way that resonates with you. And and I know I, it might sound like I'm contradicting myself here. I want to be very clear. It does not have to be perfect. Even if you feel like, oh, I want to make a, I, I don't want to make a film now because Izzy said that I can't, you know, it has to be really good and it has to grab people's attention. Like, no, your job isn't to do that. Your job is to use yeah. your curiosity and put your voice out there and then not be like strangling it with your expectation. Strangling it with expectation looks like you should make your own work so that people can see you. But using your curiosity means I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow this idea, put it out there, whether it is a film, whether it's a podcast, whether you're putting on a staged reading, whether you're getting a group of people together and, you know, just playing improv in your living room. Our job as artists is to connect with people. And so how do you best connect with people? I love making it that, thinking of it, how do you connect Mm. with people? Not how do you get footage that can then be shown to casting? Like sometimes we just make it so big. And you said something earlier I want to circle back to with what you just said, which was when you were talking about female directors that we had growing up and how few of them there were, but the ones we knew about were like magnificent. And there is this pressure sometimes that if you're going to do something, you better be exceptional. And you better be the best, especially in an industry like this that is built on wild, magnificent dreams. And there's this feeling that if we're going to make a movie, oh my God, it better be never seen before. So different, the best thing ever. If we're going to make a short, it better get into all the festivals. If I don't want to make a film, if I want to write a script, well, it better be a really good script. Super different. Going to be picked up one day like Mad Men was after sitting in that guy's suitcase for 10 years. It, this pressure like feels surmountable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's common when you have a state in your art, which is tough because we're told we need to be two different brains. We need to be our curious brain, which is soft and it's that feminine energy. It's that yin, right? It's slow and it's considered and it's thinking and it's development. And then the strategy, the business, the go, go, go mentality, that masculine kind of action oriented that is the other side of the brain that we that is demanded of us if we are to make a living and that balancing those is very tough yeah, yeah there's an ego to art yeah. that i wish sometimes i could subtract oof I, I that's so good that's so good sam i love that so true do you deal with that in your own work because along with helping other creatives you also are a very active filmmaker So how have you dealt with removing your ego from a project? Because you're not in all of your projects, are you? I didn't act in many of the films that I made early on, first kind of, you know, four or so. I didn't act in until the one that's a short film of mine is circulating now. And that's the first time I directed, acted in the same project, produced, edited. Is that the one that was at Cannes? No, that was a different controversy. That was a different film that I produced by a very talented creator, actor, producer, friend of mine. I produced that that film called Operation White Boy. It was so much, she's hilarious. I think it's a constant struggle. I think I still deal with the same sort of shame and fear that I dealt with as an 18-year-old, worried that even now I've sort of recreated it where I'm in this, and I say this, if you're listening and not watching, with air quotes, authority figure on you know making films or being an actor and making your own films or pursuing filmmaking as a woman, like all of these kind of niche things that I would fit into and that I speak with authority on, it gives me grief sometimes because I feel like, oh no, what if I do something that 
doesn't succeed? And what if I do something that people laugh at or it's X, Y, and Z, like insert fear here. (laughs) But I always come back to the same belief that I've failed more than I've succeeded. And it's never kept me down because it's a choice. It's a choice. I don't believe failure is a thing. I believe failure is a guidance. So I always check that when I'm working on something. I always check myself with what is the intention here? Is the intention to be the shiniest in the room or is the intention to truly look deeply into this thing that you want to discover? And anytime I've been very curious about the idea that I'm developing, it has come in my favor. And that's Mm. to say like, you know, in my programs, I will coach through, sometimes people will come with me, come to me with a script and they're like, I want to make this, let's do it. And I will guide them through that process. And sometimes people will come with me and say, I've never written anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And usually the first kind of handful of ideas, you know, that, that whole piece about here's a paperclip, like how many ways can you use a paperclip? And the first handful of ways people will always come up with the same thing. And it takes that sustained curiosity and experimentation to find new ways to use it. And I think that is really true of filmmaking too. It's about looking at it and going, what, how else can I tell this story? What else is there to say? What, and that's when you get into that idiosyncratic, you know, only you could tell this way type of story. And that's where you can fuck ego. Cause not like people have so many times not gotten the films that I've made. The first film I made that did really well, I went through film school, made a short film in film school. That was my thesis. But the first one I made out of film school was a psychological thriller called Phenomena. I purely made it because I had this like constant recurring daydream about this idea. And I was like, I just need to write this down. And then I realized, I think I want to make this. But it took me a year of sitting with it, developing it. It takes a while. And that's always what I want to say is like, don't expect yourself to do things really quickly. But this this film did really well in Australia's biggest short film festivals. Like 16,000 people live watched this film. And then it was live streamed on ABC. And it was really terrifying because I didn't think that would happen. And I was like, oh, no, everyone's going to like, what are they what conclusions will they draw about me? It's a very triggering film. The film also was on YouTube for a time. And there were like I have screenshots of comments from people being like, what? Like what's this going on? People did not understand. It was such a mind fuck. Like, what's going Who's the, and like fighting with each other in the comments about what the film was about? Like, you would think that I'd be like, oh no, oh no. But I was felt really excited that people were disagreeing because I think that's also what film is for. If everyone's getting it, I don't know. Is it entertaining? Like we want people to walk, I want people to walk out of that cinema having an argument about what they think the film was about. And feeling affected I don't want it to like be neatly buttoned up and they'll never think about it again I want people to fucking remember and that doesn't happen if you're playing to the masses that doesn't happen if you're playing to what you think people want to see or what you think they want of you like get honest I mean if you think I don't know if you've kept up with succession which just ended but there was as an example there were so many scenes in that last episode that I was just listening to a recap podcast because that's the level I'm at and in that recap podcast they were disagreeing about what certain scenes meant and I was like this is actually art because people are having their own interpretation and that is a dream yes but as you were talking about jumping into like the short film world and things like that I would love if we could talk about like a few, and I know you just, when this comes out, you will have just started an online class that is actually active. So sorry, guys, are too late, but you should definitely follow Izzy so she can do it again. We want to know, so let's say you do want to be a filmmaker and you're into this, like this is, you're not Sam trying to produce a web series in 2017. <laughs> you are really invested and this is something you really want to do. You're an actor with a lot of side jobs. You don't have a lot of credits under your belt, but you have a script you really want to do. Can you give us like the first few steps you would guide someone towards what the heck you even do? Absolutely. I would love to. I also will say that I went through film school because I thought it was going to make me a better actor. Like I really did. I I decided from a television show, like, oh, I want to know what's going on. I want to have better knowledge. That's why I went through film school. And then I fell in love with it. So if there's even an inkling in you that you're like, I just want to know what goes on the back end of a film set. That's reason enough to 
invest in your own knowledge, your own wisdom. I mean, I'm such a cheerleader for it. I just feel like it's the most incredible collaborative experience. So if you are thinking, God, I'd really love to do that. I just don't think I could. I don't have the resources or the confidence or the skills, which is most of the clients that I work with. I mean, I work with people who are emerging and I also work with like privately with filmmakers who have been in the industry for a really long time as a career coach. And it's the confidence, it's the belief system, it's the things that, and also some obvious like technical things and just like pure knowledge. The things that you need to make a film aren't what you think you need to make a film. You don't need a ton of money. You don't need to know a ton of people. You don't need a a whole bunch of experience. And I get the feeling that many of my clients will come to me with, with like, I don't feel like I'm allowed to call myself a director. I felt like that when I first started making films. And the truth is that when you say, hi, I'm a director, people say, oh, she's a director. They'll believe it when you tell them. Practically speaking, if you want to boil it down into action steps, the three things that you need are some kind of a support. So a collaborator, a coach, hi, it me, I'm the problem, or a co-producer or some kind of partner that can be your support system and your accountability buddy, or as we like to say, accountability buddy, because we love a wordplay. And I say we, I mean me and all my personalities, like no one else says that. No, I love that. It's like cafe gymatorium. It's what I called where I performed in high school. Same. That's so good. Yes. Some kind of support person or support system. The second thing that you need is a date on the calendar. And I know everyone's like, what do you mean? This is nothing about filmmaking. Yes, it is. You need a date. You are sitting on a script and you've been sitting on that for a really long time. It's likely because you haven't created an urgency around it. And if someone were to call you tomorrow and say, hey, could you be on set in two months? You'd be like, yeah, absolutely. So let's make space. Let's put it on the calendar. You need to put that date on the calendar and an idea. You just need an idea. Whether or not that's a script yet, I always say like, you don't need a finished script to be able to move forward. With those three things, you can then start to create, yes, the urgency with the date, because that's how you'll end up building a team. Yes, there's the accountability of having another person that's holding you with your feet to the fire through to that deadline, to that date. And then the idea, which is going to help you start to articulate what this idea is and pitch it. I love to work on a pitch through the script process. I don't know, maybe that's something that's unique about me and my process, but I don't think I have seen that in other workshops before, but I think that's actually a really important part of the development phase. So I think a lot of people will come and say, I've got a script, now what? which is fantastic. But usually what happens is that through that script phase, through that development phase and the pitch phase, the script actually gets stronger. We go back through the script and we make sure that it's really saying what it wants to say. So the pitching process is so fundamental to the whole film. It's something that helps you have clarity on what the message or the story or the impact is going to be. It helps you understand what's going to happen in post-production with the film festivals. So if you are thinking about, okay, how do I action these things that Izzy has just told me? You, first of all, human, date, idea, and then start thinking, how would you articulate this idea in a way that succinctly tells people what it is and how it's going to impact them and why they need it? That's how you start to develop your pitch. I mean, I have so many, I have like a whole program on pitching. So because I think it's really important and fundamental to the project, but it helps you also get clear and excited. It helps build excitement with people that might want to come on board with you, all of those things. When you say pitching, my brain instantly goes to like having an executive meeting and pitching like a pilot to the team at Peacock or something. (laughs) But when you say pitching, is there other versions of pitching that my brain could also be thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. Pitching is you open your mouth and you say a couple words about the film to anyone. And Mm. it's the same. And because, you know, as much as we talk about filmmaking, we also talk about building you a career in the industry in a way that is unique to yourself, right? So you're pitching when you shake hands with another actor in a crowded networking room or when you show up to Sam's new membership. Hallelujah. Everyone's excited. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Let's just plug that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Um, you. 
<laughs> so you show up to Sam's new membership and you say hi to someone and, you know, tell me about yourself inevitably comes up, right? You're pitching all the time. It probably seems like a dirty word. Like, what the hell is she talking about pitching? I don't want to feel like I'm selling all the time. That's not what you're doing. You're mm-hmm. expressing your enthusiasm, your inspiration, your excitement, and you're allowing people to buy in and be in on that with you. And you're taking people on a journey. So pitching isn't just when you're in that room going, I'm going to tell you all about my idea. Like It's going to be great, right? Because that is maybe 1% of the time and you want to be ready for that experience. And in order to be ready for that meeting, when you're in that meeting with Hulu execs and you're saying, this is my idea and I want it to be fucking amazing and you guys come on board and have that confidence and know exactly what you're talking about, you are going to need to practice this skill. Pitching looks like when you're crowdfunding and I love crowdfunding because I didn't always And it's, you know, I know it's something that's really vulnerable, but it's a brilliant marketing tool that you can use to have people understand who you are and how you want to be known in the industry. So as a multi-hyphenate like myself and, you know, yes, I'm a, I'm a director, I'm a producer, I'm an editor, I act, I have a podcast, I have a business. It's like too much stuff. But as a multi-hyphenate, the struggle in that is being specific about what I care about and how I want to be known. And I think a lot of multi-hyphenates struggle with this. So simply showing up on social media and saying, hey, this is what's important to me and this is how it's important to me, that's pitching. I had a client say, I don't know anyone in my market. I really want to know more filmmakers and I want to make this film, but I don't think there's anyone around me that could help me make it because I'm in a really small film market. No one's here. Challenge accepted. I love a challenge. In three weeks, we had reached out to multi, like around 10, I would say, 10 people in that in her network that she knew. She didn't realize that she knew, right? Someone that knew someone that she could ask for a referral from someone. And in order to effectively do that, we had to figure out how she was going to talk about the film and how she was going to express why it was important that she meet people. Now she's got five meetings on the books. She's got a co-producer in a market that she thought there was no one. Like, it's possible for you. It's about communication. I love this because that's something I know nothing about. And to think that everything is a pitch in some capacity is really interesting to me. I'm interested in like surmising things. Yeah. And like, how do you describe something? Last thing I want to talk to you about with everything you just said is being a multi-hyphenate. How does Izzy take care of Izzy? What does your schedule look like? What are our boundaries? Teach us about your day-to-day life because as someone who also owns businesses, I have a lot to learn about taking care of myself and my own time and also my own creativity. So I'm stealing things from people around me. So tell me a little bit about your schedule, your life. I have had moments of being really strong in my, I would say, routine and times where I fall you know, for lack of a better term, off the wagon and I'm just working all the time. And I used to really guilt myself about that because I'd be like, oh, who are you to preach what you preach and like not, you know, and not be able to show up perfectly. And the truth of it is that we need moments. I believe that we need moments of disbalance. I think that is actually a part of balance. But staying in that place is can be detrimental in the long run. I've started to understand what it looks like when I'm reaching burnout. I'm getting better at saying no to things, much better at saying no to things. I used to be chronically, so when I was 18, I was working on that show. I was also finishing high school and doing my final exams. And I was on the show three days a week. I was at high, in high school two days a week. I would listen to notes in my sleep in audio to try and study. And I was also in a musical and I was really sick. I was like, I had bronchitis multiple times that year. Like it was, it was really bad. And over the past sort of decade, I've realized how I take care of myself is really important. And that usually looks like I have a very healthy diet of lots of vegetables, but lots of bread. I'm a bread gal. Like I, my yeah, my bread. My partner is. Do you, don't you have so much energy from eating bread? I have so much more energy in my life. Yes, bread is the best. I don't know how bread got such a carbs. bad rap. My partner is a baker, which is you know half the reason we've survived. Dreamy. Because I'm just kidding, but he brings me bread, and it's good for our relationship. So I say that because you don't need the perfect diet, but I do think that 
your diet, I always say like 70, 70, 30, like 70% of the time I'm really, I'm eating really well. I'm taking really good care of myself. 30% of the time I can have a party. I can have that glass of wine. I can have that whatever I want. But if as long as 70% of the time I'm looking after myself. So I, I do have a pretty strict routine on like in the morning, I'll have my lemon water before I have coffee and I add little Celtic rock salt to the lemon water to for electrolytes. I really do. Yeah. It's like strangely obsessive about how the good things that I eat impact me. So I will commonly be found, commonly found standing over the sink eating and like Googling the health effects of what I'm eating. Oh no! So there you go. Being, just <laughs> getting truly vulnerable. Be like, pa- like health effects of parsley as I eat. Maybe you feel it more. It's like a placebo is, effect of like, I know dill is so good oh. for me. Like it's so good for my eyesight. So like, like I see yeah, I love like how good I see today. <laughs> so I think that yes. food makes a really big difference. And I love to cook, so I'm lucky on that. But my routine actually day to day is a lot of Monday is my big picture sort of. I call it my CEO executive. And that's the day where I get administrative things done for myself. I don't take, I try not to take any meetings on Mondays. And I basically just go, okay, what is, what do we need to get done? What is the deep work we need to do this week? Including things on films. I am in production on two short films right now. And I've just signed on to be director of another. So I've got a few things that will need like love and attention and care. And I also will be looking at like right now we are about to launch Microbudge Bootcamp, which is that summer program that we were talking about. And there's a lot of administration that goes on a Monday for that. Tuesday, Wednesday, I take calls as a coach in my community. So that's in my membership, Indie Spunk Club and my private coaching clients as well. And so a lot of attention and time has gone into building my business over the past couple of years and the podcast as well. And It's like such a ton of work that I have guilted myself a lot with the disbalance I have felt with the other things that are going on in my life with filmmaking and with acting. I can't be 100% of myself in everything. And that's really hard for me because I want so badly to be. Yes. I'm so glad you just said that, though, because Sam of many years ago would have heard you say that. And that you're a multi-hyphenate and all those things. And I would think like, okay, well, I better fit everything in the schedule all at once. And I better be the best actor and a filmmaker and a podcaster and a, because you cannot do all of those things at once and do them well. Mm -hmm. You can do all of those things at once and do them mediocrely. Exactly. You can't be good at all of those things at one time. And it's so hard to come to that place where you understand that. Completely. And to be completely honest, you can do many projects at one time if you are okay with them taking a really long time to develop. Basically, what I am doing right now is like keeping things on hot plates warm rather than cooking one full delicious healthy meal and having that be done and dusted and delightful. And that is a struggle I've dealt with, but only can only now can I lightly touch all of these different projects and go fully in on a business project right now because I've made films in the past and I sort of I can lightly touch those and I can also as a producer I can sort of figure out what needs going on on a high level but as a director I cannot do that I am in there I'm in the weeds I'm in the specifics the first thing that we do in my program is you know because I I work with really creative people who come with to me and say I've got five ideas which one should I do I want to do all of them and it's like the first thing is to clear the desk make like clear that desk Mm make it really clean. And I'm saying metaphorically, but also, yeah, clean your desk. But like metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Clean. She looks as she looks at her messy desk. But metaphorically speaking, clean your desk and pick one because that honing in is a superpower. You can do one thing really, really, really well. Then you can add another. And that is a lesson I've had to learn from things falling, things not going well, things feeling like I'm so stretched thin, I'm overwhelmed. There's too many things on my plate. It's actually, it's just not, it's not ideal to do that. And do you take time for yourself? Do you have like weekends to yourself and your partner and your family? How do you take that? Over the past few years living in LA, my whole family is in Australia. And so I think that I've gotten away with working a little bit too high. Like, like I'll be honest, I wake up at 6am, roll over, check my emails. Like I'm right currently speaking as we record this and likely when you listen to this, I'll be in a different place. But as we say, as we're recording this, I want to be honest and say my routine right now is not the healthiest it's been. 
when it's healthy, I wake up yeah. in the morning, I don't look at my phone, I meditate, I wait, I go for a walk outside, I have my coffee, I read, I'm, you know, and that's just in the morning. And I'll read a few pages of something that is either inspiring or insightful. I love books on psychology. I love books on, you know, growing yourself into a better human and also ideas and philosophy. Like I do love reading a lot. And so I'll read a little bit in the morning and then I'll go into work and do my stuff. Go to an audition if I have an audition or, you know, take meetings. I'm currently trying to get back to that place, but I feel a little bit stressed, if I'm honest. But I understand it because I'm in the same place with launching the membership. And I think it's important to like clock these moments and to say out loud, I, I wish it always looked like this beautiful picture every single day, but there are times when it doesn't. And I also woke up this morning at 6 a.m. and I woke up at 5.50 because I had something launching at 6. So I rolled over and I looked at Slack until it launched just to make sure everything was going okay. Well, In a perfect world, I would love to not touch that phone until like 10 a.m. But th this particular few, this like month, weeks where that I'm at, it is gonna, it's what's happening. And But I can clock it and I know this doesn't feel awesome. I would like to change it as soon as it's possible. Maybe next time I hire out for these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe I figure something out. And I think that's equivalent to actors too, because there are things that in building our routines that you might not be able to fix it right away. But if you're someone who's trying to make their own work, but also staying up until 3 a.m. at your bartending job, but you have to wake up mm -hmm. at, you know, whatever time to get your shit together, you have to clock that, hey, this doesn't feel great. What could I change in six months, nine months to a year? What could I start adding to my resume or to my life in order to get myself out of this situation? And yeah. just because you clock something doesn't mean you have to fix it, but you do need to like note it. Yeah. I love that you're talking about how could I get support in certain areas? Because for so long, again, part of the superpower and part of the downfall is that I'm so curious about doing everything myself. And I don't believe that help is available to me. And so I will just do it myself. But as I grow and as I understand how I want to build the career that I'm building, it's unsustainable to do that, which means being able to delegate and looking for that support and seeking help. That is, I think, an incredible superpower. When I see that people are good at that, I'm like, how do you do that? What does that look like? Like, show me your ways. <laughs> Yeah. And you said it earlier. You said it's important to know when your zone of genius yes. is, where your zone of genius is. And it just frees you up to do things better when you know that. So, for example, when you came to me for Fast Forward and we did your podcast in a day and we did the planning and like kicking off of the podcast stuff, you've nuanced it and made it more your own since then because it's been a while. But you make it, but having people and services and the ability to lean on others, whether or not you can pay them to start or maybe it's a friend or a confidant. This is where we take care of our community and our network is just, it's a way to skip some of the headache, get in line sometimes. Completely. Like I have had for too long, which is why I'm now very, the coaching world truly was so new to me when I first became a coach for filmmakers. So much so that, I don't know if I told you this, Sam, but I thought I, I thought that I had created creative coaching. Oh, I love Oh my God, you. that's oh, how that's so funny. foreign it was that I was, I could seek help in this career. Like I was like, I'm a genius. Yeah. I've created an industry. I And then I played seriously and I Googled, this is like 2020 Isabella, Googled creative coach thinking nothing would come up. And there was like, oh, sweet. But you have to love that vigor that you were like, this is something I can do. Yeah. And then you just went with it, even though other people were doing it. Like the same way I feel about oh, those actors having, creators having podcasts. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, don't. Use your own model, build your yeah, own Yeah, do your like, thing. And that's, yeah. I think I work with a lot of people who don't know how to ask for help as well. It's like, it's a bit of a, I suppose maybe because I have dealt with that so much, I may potentially attract it, but it is tough. Like it is tough to say, hey, first of all, can you help me? And second of all, I'm choosing to invest in myself and invest in help, which before I became a coach, I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. And now I'm like, oh, Sam? podcast genius, help me, please. Like, you know what you're doing. I can skip a bunch of steps, save myself a ton of time that I no longer have. And you can help me put my podcast yeah. together. And you did. I just like, I'm so grateful. Well, thank you. Now this is an ad for Fast Forward, fast forward and I don't need the women are talking. 
<laughs> That's our new one. That's you got to take that. We're going to use that. In perpetuity. In perpetuity. <laughs> signed on. Izzy, you are lovely. This is lovely. I love what you do. And I've really admired your work, especially since I got to spend that whole day with you. Let's guide some people to where they can find you, all of your services, and the micro-budget bootcamp that I'm going to force you to make a passive income into later. So let's talk about it. Yes, micro-budget bootcamp is about to be taught live. And when you're listening to this, it will very likely be something that you can access. So come and find me. Check out IndieSpunk.com. That's where you'll find everything that you need. And also I'm on Instagram at IndieSpunk, which is where you will find me most. So come and send me a message. Let me know what a takeaway was for you from this. I love to hear what people, because like, I seriously sit in this chair and wonder, wonder if people are enjoying, like, what do they want more of? What do they care about? Tell me what mattered to you. <laughs> I love hearing it. Yeah, we'll send you all a takeaway so you can post some mm. from this podcast and people can write back to you on it. And your podcast is also linked below. So we'll have all the goods for Izzy linked here. And thank you so much for the work you do and the way you help people. And I'm really excited to get this podcast out. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. I love what you do. I think you're just a golden shining light and such an example for so many of us. So thank you for existing and putting yourself out there. Thanks, Liz. <laughs>